All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD and anxiety and anxiety spectrum disorders and getting your life back. I'm your host, Kevin Foss, and I'm a licensed therapist specializing in OCD and anxiety disorders. Thank you all so much for joining me for today's episode. So, as this is a question and answer based podcast, if you would like your question answered, go over to fearcastpodcast.com, click on the submit a question link, and you can send me a question there. Now, the best way to get me a, a message and to get your question on the podcast and faster is actually to send me an audio question. You can record your uh, audio question um, and send it to me. You can email it to me at questions at fearcastpodcast. You can send me a shared uh, Google link to it if you upload it to Google, <clears throat> or you can just go to Instagram. I am Fearcast Podcast over at Instagram, and um, you can send me your question through a DM that way. So today is going to be a, a couple, or I'm going to answer a couple of questions from the emails. And um, so one is so actually I'm going to answer two. Well, two that is kind of turned into three because the one of the emails has a two for sort of a question. So. Why don't I just launch into that since I don't really have anything else to add uh, here at the top. So we'll just get into it for today. So this first question comes from Anna. Anna says, hi, Kevin and people listening. My name is Anna. I'm from Germany. Well, hi there, Anna. Uh, she goes on to say, uh, first of all, I'm so glad this podcast exists. I only recently discovered it and it helps a lot. Thank you for making it. Now, uh, she says, now I know ROCD is a thing. I'm 100% sure I have it. Knowing that it exists explains so much of my past struggles in relationships. So my story slash question is, I recently started online dating again after a year and a half of being single. I'm about to meet up with a guy this weekend who is really good looking. Now I'm super, uh, she says, now I'm super suspicious that something is wrong because he is good looking, smart, funny, and wants kids. Those types are usually taken. So I'm super suspicious and can't stop thinking about what might be wrong here. She goes on to say, I've had some really bad experiences in the past with abusive relationships. Now I'm worrying so much about it that I already know I won't be relaxed on the date, won't know what to talk about, and because of, uh, and because of that, he won't be into me. So basically, I'm scared that I won't be good enough and or something might be wrong slash fishy with him. I know this might be my ROCD kicking in, but on the other hand, it might be a reality. Help! <clears throat> and thank you so much for sending this this in. Um, yeah, it, well, first off, I hope the date went well. Um, I'm, I'm answering this a little bit after you'd sent it in, but I hope the date went well and you discovered what happened. One of the, re well, all right, so first off, you say, you say, I, I, I know I have OCD and it, it's 100% a sure thing that I have it. Well, one of the things that I would encourage you to do is to actually go see a therapist to have that diagnosed. So what one thing that uh, is is more common than should is uh, or should be is the uh, kind of over self-diagnosis uh, of, of mental health disorders. And that can kind of be this sense of, you know, if I have a couple of symptoms of one thing, I kind of grab onto it and say, well, this just must be me. Now, 
I'm not saying that you're wrong, Anna. You might you might actually be right. And you said now that you've learned about it, there's a lot that would explain some of your past struggles and relationships. But um, I, I would again encourage you to just go go meet with a therapist, go meet with an OCD specialist if you can, and ha- and be assessed for um, for our OCD. If you can get it. Because the, the therapist might say, "Yeah, you totally do," and then you can again feel more validated and and um, uh, more va- validated of what your past experiences have been telling you. Or they might say, "You know what? Some of the past struggles you've had in relationships might actually be uh, uh, caused by or be influenced by something else." So, uh, f- food for thought, I suppose. But. Um, but your, your your question then is well what what do I what do I do about this well, um, so with everything with OCD we're gonna we, we do need to sit with uncertainty. The the reality is you have uncertainty about this relationship, and your brain knows that it has uncertainty about this date about this thing that you're about to do. There's there's the reality about having real real uncertainty uh it, it's it's kind of um it, it's just the reality that we don't have the information we don't know what's going to happen you're about to go on this date it could go great it could go weird before first dates we all get those thoughts about oh, how's it going to go we could imagine oh maybe this is my last first date we have the thoughts maybe this is just going to be a horrendous you know nightmare of an evening uh with this with a person with whom i'm going to share nothing um anyways it, it could go either way with in the face of uncertainty our brain is going to insert something just to get some type of answer, some type of direction. And sometimes it's going to be helpful or, or grounded. And sometimes it's going to be completely left field. And sometimes it's going to be just completely fraught with anxiety and terror in the worst case scenario. So it sounds like your brain is fit, filling in this uncertainty, this natural uncertainty with something terrible. So it's also helpful for us to all know and, and kind of anticipate where our anxieties are going to lead us. Does, does it lead us towards kind of the same direction every single time? Like, does it make the assumption that I'm not good enough? Does it make the assumption that other people are, you know, that there, there is something to be suspicious about with someone else, right? You commented that you've had really bad experiences in the past with abusive relationships. So that, there might be a key in that. And I, I, I wonder if your brain here is taking some of that past, some of those past experiences and attributing them to this date, this uncertainty. So first, well, not first, I guess I've been talking a lot about this, but either way, it, I, I'm sorry you've had to go through those abusive relationships and you've had those bad experiences. There's no way those don't affect you. There's no way those don't affect someone who goes through them. And I would really suspect that there's something having to do with those bad experiences, with those abusive relationships, as it is, as it is then informing this situation. That would definitely be something to help or to unpack with a therapist 
as you go in to, to get a diagnosis for ROCD, chat about these past relationships and, and what's happened and maybe maybe working on some of that and uh, addressing the leftover impact on you and your life would be helpful as you move forward in these new relationships. Now, of course, you may have already done that. I don't know. I'm going with what you just said in the email. But if you haven't, definitely go check it out. Definitely talk about and process through some of this stuff as they, I would say, are, are related. So we can think about then, let's say your brain is just taking the, those experiences. You've had that experience. You've probably heard stories from other people about uh, terrible relationships or terrible um, first dates and you know people being sketchy. Maybe this person's just lying or, or catfishing you or whatever it might be. You hear those stories and in the face of this uncertainty, your brain's going to fill it in with just stuff and with enough stuff just kind of piled in in just the right way it kind of rises to the level of well relevant it rises to the point of maybe feasible right and i wonder what evidence your brain is producing to say that you won't be good enough where is that coming from what evidence do you have that you won't be good enough for this person who has agreed to go out on a date with you, who presumably sees something in you that is fantastic and wonderful and worth spending time with? There's this narrative that you're not good enough. Well, with that, with that thought and with this thought that maybe there's something wrong with him, we need to acknowledge that uncertainty and that we don't know and that ruminating about it, thinking about it, scouring your experiences, scouring uh, his profile, whatever it might be, for the answers won't get it for you. It's not going to satisfy that sense of uncertainty. The only thing that's going to satisfy that sense of uncertainty, I'm going to put an asterisk on that, is going out on this date. Now, here's what may happen. You may then go out on that date and have met them and talked with them and learned a little bit about them. And then your brain might say, mm, but you know what? While they seemed fine and normal and reasonable and still attractive and funny and smart and assumably still wants kids, maybe there's still something weird about them. Keep, keep thinking, keep ruminating, keep checking, the digging deeper, going further into this. Well, going down that rabbit hole isn't going to get you any more answers. It won't. Our brain naturally has the ability to say, well, what if this is true? And that's in that anxiety fantasy, right? What if this is true? Well, it might be. But we're practicing. We need to practice living in this place of uncertainty and not having the answers to everything. And moving forward with a relationship as best you possibly can. Still getting to know this person. Get, b building trust with this person. Sharing things about you. Learning, learning to be uh, uh, then in a relationship again. After a year and a half of being single, it takes time to then figure out how to be in a relationship again, right? Or just how to date someone again. But I love your comment, or I love the, the last sentence you had. I know this might be my ROCD kicking in, but on the other hand, it might be a reality. Yes. Yes. It might be a reality, and it might be your ROCD kicking in, and it might be your ROCD grabbing onto something that is, well, uncertain. So, we'll see. 
we'll see is a great response to situations like this. In, in, in this situation where you don't know, further thinking about it, ruminating about it won't get you further down the, the down towards an answer. We're going to leave this up to future you. Future you's problem, and you will discover it when you're there. But you're going to put the ruminating, the active rumination, the active considering and, and, and scouring to the side and go out on the date. When your brain tries to pull you back in, you're going to say, you know what? We'll see. I'll see when I get there. And then you will know. And then check to see how your brain is going to try to suck you back into this, this fight. So, and I'm going to leave you with that. And uh, hopefully the date went well. Hopefully that's your last first date, if that's what you're hoping for. All right, so I'm going to move on to the next question or question. So this comes from Jackson. So Jackson says, thanks for the great podcast, Kevin. I have a two-part question for you. Number one, I've heard some OCD therapists share the view that long-term persisting depersonalization and derealization symptoms might actually be a form of hyperawareness, aka somatic or sensory motor OCD. Can you share your views on this? So when you when you sent this question in, I I had not been aware that some people had drawn this um, comparison. Um, so I don't have a whole lot to share on it. Um, so depersonalization and derealization symptoms. Um, well, I guess I ha- I have some thoughts on it. So depersonalization and derealization. Those can be those are really uncomfortable experiences for some people, where they can feel kind of out of body. They don't feel themselves. They can kind of feel um, fuzzy headed, light headed, um, in a fog. They can feel like that they are like kind of someone else. They feel disconnected from other people, the world around them, from themselves, from their own experiences. And these can develop kind of on their own. They can develop as in, in response to uh, trauma or, or other, uh, you know, kind of difficult, big emotions. And they, they can be really frustrating for a lot of people and they can be really scary as well to, uh, you know, wonder what is happening to me? Why do I feel this way? Now, we can separate that from hyper-awareness. We've talked a lot about hyper-awareness on the podcast. Hyper-awareness OCD is OCD about bodily sensations, your awareness of things around you. So for a lot of people, it can be uh, a, a hyper-focus on a physical sensation. So, uh, well, they can, yes, I'll finish my sentence. <laughs> the physical sensation and your senses. It can be uh, noticing your blinking, noticing your breathing, noticing your the sound of your own chewing. It can be a hyper-awareness of your own thoughts and the fact that you're thinking. Uh, it can be hyper-awareness of, the, uh, of, of sounds around you. One thing that really separates depersonalization and derealization from hyper-awareness OCD is the compulsive component to it. So, the depersonalization and derealization symptoms, at, at best, they can be the trigger. They can be the, the cause of an obsession. The obsession might then be, what if this feeling never goes away? 
So you can, ha- I would say, so they, I wouldn't say it's a form of hyper awareness, but I would say it can, it would certainly fit within a, a trigger and something that OCD can grab onto as something to obsess about and to ruminate about, is this feeling going to go away? How do I fix this? What does this mean for me? And uh, other compulsive, um, uh, you know, uh, other compulsive behaviors as a way of managing the anxiety surrounding the experience of depersonalization and derealization. The treatment for both, in most cases, are going to be letting that, letting go of the responsibility over that feeling and kind of taking the awareness of that feeling kind of in stride, not as a problem or as something or as an adversary or something that needs to be fixed, but something that is kind of a phenomenon, something that you are experiencing to know that you are feeling disconnected from yourself, that your head is kind of in a fog that day, that you are feeling your, uh, you know, uh, you are hyper aware or that you are, um, you know, uh, hyper disconnected, I suppose. But to not, but to pull yourself away from trying to fix it or to figure it out, but to kind of treat it as just something that's happening in the here and the now and reminding yourself that that feeling is eventually going to pass because it always does, and that we get distracted sometimes. We get distracted by sensations, we get uh, distracted by things around us, and that we gently just shift our focus back towards the thing that we have in, in mind, or the thing that we, the, the task that we have at hand. And continually practicing this process of letting go of this fixing, this urgency, and well, I wouldn't say letting go of the feeling. It's not letting go of the feeling of it. It's letting go of your active participation in it. When we let go of, of, of rumination, it doesn't necessarily stop the feeling. It, no, let me go back on that. It doesn't stop the feeling. If you're doing it and the feeling, or if you're doing it to get rid of the feeling, that would be a compulsion. But we're letting go of your participation in it, and it's a gentle shift back to your life. So, um, I feel like I had something else that I wanted to add to this, but um, I, I will I will not at this time. Um, it will probably come to me. So, let's go on to the second question. The second question is, can you elaborate on what role you think ERP plays in treating hyper-awareness OCD, particularly whether deliberate focus on the undesired awareness is a good treatment for this type of anxiety. So to this, uh, so ERP I think does have a role for hyper-awareness and there's gonna be a lot of disagreement with me on this and that's totally fine. However, I I think ERP can play a great role in this. Um, But it sounds different than typical treatment for OCD. Remember, for typical treatment for OCD, we are going to be focusing on the stimulus, the trigger, the thing itself. However, for hyper-awareness and somatic OCD, the stories are a little bit different. The, the, the direction of focus is a little bit different. So instead of focus for hyper-awareness, instead of focusing on ostensibly the trigger, which might be the sound, it might be the feeling, it might be your blinking or your breathing or your heartbeat or whatever it might be, instead of focusing on those sensations, instead we are we are the, for exposure, we're focusing on the on the meaning of that and the fear about what's going to happen because you're hyper-aware of it, because your attention is too much on it. Does it mean that you're never going to be focused again? Are you worried that it's going to ruin your relationship? 
Are you worried that it's going to get in the way of you being able to have a successful career? Are you worried that you're never going to be present again? And you're never going to be fully, fully uh, um, connected to other people again, right? That is the fear, that is the fear to address. Because that's oftentimes what, this, what the meaning of it or what the story is for a lot of people. So for ERP, I think what well, ERP for hyper-awareness OCD is incredibly important in terms of writing scripts and addressing that fear and, saying, uh, and, and addressing the uncertainty about what the future is going to be. However, the deliberate focus on the, on the uh, undesired awareness is not going to help. If anything, it is going to produce m more. Well, all right, I'm probably going to go back on myself for this, but it, it's the, you're already focused on that sensation. Usually, that is the compulsion. Oftentimes, people are hyper-focused, are hyper-aware of that sensation because they're trying to check if it's still there. How much is it there? Is it changing? When they did X, Y, or Z, did it, did it go away or did it get worse? Right? There's a lot of focus on it. We're ultimately, at the end of the day, trying to have less focus on it, not trying to treat that feeling or that experience or the thing that you are hyper aware of as if it is special or needing attention. So hyper focus on the, the undesired awareness, not great. Now, this is where I'm going to go back on it. Maybe there's a scenario where you and your therapist can, uh, could say, you know what we're going to do? We are going to focus on the feeling or the sensation just to practice response prevention. We're going to be aware of the feeling so that you can practice resisting resisting monitoring. This sounds so bad. Resisting, uh, evaluating, and criticizing it. Maybe we're going to practice openness and acknowledgement of it. Maybe self-compassion alongside that feeling. So there, maybe that could be it. However, I think that in most cases, trying to habituate to the feeling itself, which I think is what a lot of people start to do with, um, with hyper-awareness. They go like, oh, you're worried about, I don't know, your tinnitus? All right, we're going to focus on your tinnitus and have you, quote, habituate to it. It's not really going to. It's not really going to work because some someone who has that is already focused on it way too much. So instead, we need to focus less on that tinnitus, or less on your heartbeat, or less on your blinking, and go. Yeah, it is there, and it's annoying, but it's there. What else is there in my life? What else would be more important or fun or meaningful or bring me joy or what else is most important right now than this? And maybe it's never going to go away. And maybe it's going to distract me again in the future. Maybe it's going to be uh, something that shows up when I don't want it to. Okay. There's a lot of stuff that distracts us. There's a lot of stuff that gets in the way of our enjoyment of things. Yep. But we move past those. We acknowledge them as annoyances and we move past them. I know I bring these examples up all the time, but think about the annoyances that you have in your life. Think about the distractions. Think about the things that diminish your experience of something. So I'm scheduled to go to Disneyland tomorrow. Um, 
it's going to be fun, hopefully. But you know what? It's also going to be super annoying. There's so much annoyance in relation to going to, quote, the happiest place on earth. So theoretically, I'm going to go there for the, for the purpose of having fun with the family, um, having fun in general, right? But I'm going to go and there's going to be probably traffic on the drive. Well, that's going to be annoying. I'm going to have to pay for parking, which is also going to be an annoyance. Um, I'm going to have to deal with, I'm going to have to deal with people. People are the worst. Yeah, I'm going to have to deal with them. I'm going to have to stand in lines. It might be hot tomorrow. Um, they are going to have merchandise that I think is completely ridiculous. The popcorn buckets are ridiculous. I don't care what you say. I'm going to die on that hill. Um, there's and they're going to have things that I would love to see and they're not going to do. I, anyways, there, there's a lot of annoyances. What are annoyances of things that you enjoy? You acknowledge those and you shift over. You acknowledge those and you keep moving. Now, I know one of the complaints for hyper-awareness is that you get stuck in, I mean, that, that feeling always goes with you, right? Like your body always goes with you. It's st we still continually practice acknowledgement and moving towards your life, not getting stuck in this feeling. So um, I know I went long on, on that second bit, but hopefully uh, that answers your question on whether or not, uh, or what, what role ERP plays. So, all right, Jackson, I'm going to let this go. So um, I'm just going to slide in the uh, slide in that music right here. So thank you all for joining me for this episode. Um, if you have something to add to any of these, if there's something I missed, if you have a strong opinion about uh, depersonalization and derealization as it relates to hyper-awareness OCD, um, I want to know about it. If there are some resources uh, on this, I want to know about it. Um, so you can go over and send those uh, that feedback or that those resources over to me at fearcastpodcast.com. Or again, you can send those to me faster if you go over to Instagram and uh, find me over at fearcast podcast there so um uh, please remember everybody that the fearcast is not a substitute for psychotherapy if you need a little bit of help in your recovery go over to fearcastpodcast.com and there's going to be the find help link click on that and there'll be some resources for you there all right everybody until next time take a risk challenge yourself and don't take your brain too seriously <laughs>